We have a, a special guest here today, um, and, and he's going to take a, a moment to um, talk about what it is that they do at IDES, um, International Deserve Disaster Emergency Services. Is that right? That's a lot of words, and I think I nailed it. Here we go. Well, good morning. What a wonderful crowd. Just love this, and uh, you guys are busting at the seams, you know? There is property back there. I see it. I see it. But anyways, I'm just so grateful to be here and so such a delight to be able to share with you a little bit about IDES. IDES is International Disaster Emergency Service. And so we deal with disasters not only here in the United States, States but around the world. But we also do things for hunger. We do medical relief. And then we also do community development. But it's all centered around evangelism. Everything we do, we want to make sure that Jesus' name is proclaimed, that we do it in his name. And we're so grateful for, for uh, St. Joe Church of Christ and what you guys are, are doing and continue to do, partnering with us so that we can partner around the world and bring relief. Right now, we're working in places like Kentucky after the tornado back in 2021. Well, we're continuing to, to uh, help the people get back on their feet there, as well as eastern Kentucky. They had flooding last year, and so we were able to go in and help the churches, help their community. We are also in, in uh, Port Charlotte, down in Florida, uh, after Hurricane Ian. We've been working with the church, New Day Christian Church down there, and helping them with the, the people there. The devastation was so incredible I talked to an insurance adjuster uh, just a couple of weeks ago when I was down there, and he told me that there are still people four or five months later that still haven't had an insurance adjuster come in and tell them what the insurance will cover. And so we've been able to go in and help the church with the recovery effort. There was one lady in particular in the middle of the storm. She began praying to God, God, if you just get me through this storm. I'll start going to church. That very Sunday after the storm, she was at New Day Christian Church and hasn't missed since then. And we're hearing stories about how that is happening time and time again, uh, where people um, have people come out and help them with their house, and yet they rip them off and, and they still need help. And so we're able to come alongside to help them. And you all are a part of that. And, of course, we are working right now um, with our mission partners in Turkey as well as Syria and helping with the earthquake relief there, devastating earthquake. And we're hoping and praying that we'll be able to make inroads there. We're setting up a mobile clinic and, uh, with that, be able to reach the people for Christ as well as help them physically. And then we've been in Ukraine since the beginning of the, the war there of last year. Continue to pray for our mission partners are making a huge impact uh, in Ukraine and uh, in, in the surrounding countries. There have been millions of people that are displaced. Million are moving into places like Poland. And so we've been reaching out through our Polish Christian mission, helping them uh, with so many different projects. Again, I just want to say thank you. We'll leave you with one, one story. We've been working in Southeast Asia with a young man by the name of Roy Knight. Roy is an evangelist, and he loves serving God. And he has a lot of other leaders that work with him. 
In fact, we've come alongside him and helped provide motorcycles so that the evangelists could get to hard-hit areas, uh, whether it's disaster or just rural areas that you can't get to without a motorcycle. And so they're making a huge difference. A few years ago, he was uh, reaching out to a community with food, and he gave a man his portion of food. And the man took his food and he said, Thank you, God. And the man was wondering, uh, Roy was wondering, which God are you thanking? Because in India, there are thousands of God. And he wanted to know, which one are you thanking? And the man looked at him and he said, only the true God would give me something to eat. And Roy, with a smile on his face, began teaching him about Jesus. And that man has since become a Christian and is now one of those evangelists that's taking the good news. One of the things that we love to say at Ides is, out of disaster comes help and hope, and you all are a part of that, and we just want to say thank you. God bless you all. Thank you, Jeff. Um, I like hearing everything that's going on with IDES. Um, it is great. I'm, one of my favorite things is they come in and they work through already established churches or help find those churches. And so that the people, the Christians, are the ones who are just getting fueled to do even more of their work. And, and maybe, a junior church, four years old through fourth grade, you can walk. Maybe, since you did just say that you helped this other minister get a, a motorcycle, you know. Um, okay, maybe not. Um, yeah. So, um, I'm so, so excited to see you guys all here today. We are. We're in this series of going through the Gospels and seeing these things. The first four books of the New Testament called the Gospels, and, and I taught you the Greek word that John actually remembered, euangelion. Um, what does euangelion mean? Good news. Who said that? Garrett said that. Good. Wow, you knew his voice. Okay. Okay. The first Gospel account of Matthew. Matthew showed Jesus to be from the tribe of Judah. Uh, Matthew shows Jesus as the king, as royalty, like a lion. Mark was the second one, focused on the suffering aspects of Jesus, um, how he came to serve, like an ox is carrying the load and serving. Last week we looked at Luke. Uh, Luke shows the humanity of Jesus, how God came to be one of us. Jesus was fully man. And now we come to finally the last gospel, and that is John. The four creatures we keep seeing repeated that we've looked at so far. We're going to look just at Revelation this time, uh, 4, verse 7. The first of these living beings was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third was like has a human face. And the fourth was like an eagle in flight. And again, these four creatures also represented the four areas that were around the temple, as you can see in this picture. So we've seen Jesus, the king, which is the way you come into the temple. We've seen that um, the humanity side on the south side here. We've seen the service side in the background scenes. And now we're coming to the north side, the, the elevated scene. What is that last creature? It's an eagle. The eagle that John is going to show us is how this eagle represents Jesus. But before we get into that, we have to, again, go back and do context before content. So who wrote the book of John? John, that was a good one. Okay. 
Yes. But which John? There's several Johns um, mentioned in the Bible. This is the Apostle John, the son of Zebedee. This is not John the Baptizer or John the Baptist, okay? Those are different type uh, Johns. This John had a younger brother named James. And what's interesting about James and John is that Jesus gave them a nickname. Sons of Thunder. Who's saying all this stuff? That's not Garrett. Garrett's like, okay, Sons of Thunder. Now, I want you to think a moment about thunder. The, the loudness of thunder, right? Uh, you don't know how loud it will be at the exact moment, but when thunder hits, how many of you jump? Yeah, I, I love the sound of thunder. I, I just that power, and it's sudden, and it's just really awesome. That's exactly how Jesus describes James and John, the sons of thunder. Um, maybe they were very unpredictable, and maybe they were a little self-centered. We can see some examples of them being very forceful, of guys who didn't want to lose to anybody and maybe becoming angry. And for some of you, maybe you are very much like a son of thunder or a daughter of thunder when it comes to your life. And yet, these two, God saw, Jesus saw, something particular in these loud, obnoxious, in-your-face people that He called them to be disciples. He saw something in these two brothers. saw potential in them. He understood, Jesus understood what they could be, and that I want you to take for just a moment is how He looks at you. He looks past that past. He looks deep within and He sees potential, things that we could never see. So these two brothers are part, James and John, and then you add Peter, and they're part of the inner three. These are the, the close-knit group around Jesus. You had Jesus, then you had the three, then you had the rest of the disciples, and then you had all the masses. And these three guys were at the transfiguration. These are the ones who are with Jesus more and more at these hard times for him. There is such a closeness with these three um, that they're not only the inner circle, but when John is mentioned, it's called the disciple whom he loved. How many of you would like to be known as the disciple whom Jesus loved? Wouldn't that be a great name for Jesus to call you? Okay, so that's who John is. John wrote this account around 90 A.D. That's 60 years after Jesus resurrected. The other three Gospels have already been around for around 30 years or more. By the time that he's writing this, all these others were in the churches, and much of the New Testament has already been circulated. And now here comes another gospel by John. Why did John write it? If all, almost all the New Testament's already written, why is he doing it? If there's already three gospels out there, why did he feel the need to write one more? And I think the answer is that there is something not focused on in the other three that John needs to make sure. We've seen the royalty of Jesus. We've seen the servant heart. We've seen Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us. But there's something at the core of Christianity that John wants to make sure, and so he writes about it. 
Remember, John is one of the inner three, so he was with Jesus the whole time. He is first-hand information. He's not like Luke, who had to go and research this and, and ask eyewitness accounts. He was already there. And so he knew all this. He heard the words of Jesus as he taught them. He saw Jesus do these healings. He was present when Jesus was crucified. He was there. He saw it all firsthand, and he decided 60 years later that he needed to write this down so that those people who had never seen Jesus before could have the opportunity. And here's the word. And if you've got your bulletin or if you've got something, I want you to write this down. The key word in John is believe. It's not on the slides. It's not it. I want you to hear this. John wrote this so you could believe to believe in Jesus. John wrote this amazing, life-changing book so that we, as people who never saw Jesus, could believe in Him, in Jesus, and go deeper in our relationship. He wrote this so that people could go from unbelieving to the opportunity to have that relationship with Jesus. Now, if you remember in the beginning of the Gospels, it's very important how they introduced their Gospels, how they opened up. Matthew starts out with uh, Jesus' lineage, okay, from King David, and it goes all the way to Jesus. Mark starts off with Jesus' baptism and then immediately into the ministry. So we have the royalty, and then we have, hey, he's getting work, he's serving right away. Luke shows a lineage, but he goes all the way back to Adam. What's interesting is Mark or Matthew looked at the lineage through David. Luke looks at the lineage through Mary. Now we go, come to John and look how this Euangelion starts. John 1, starting in the, verse 1. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him. And nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Right here is a phenomenally deep theological beginning of the Gospel of John. He shows a lineage that is not talked about in the others. Jesus is not just earthly. His lineage goes to pre-time. He was with God in the beginning. And He is God, is what He's saying. The Word that was everything was created through and holds it all together. That Word is light, that capital W. And that Word is Jesus. What John is trying to make us believe and help us to see is that Jesus is divine. Jesus is divine. He is deity that Jesus is actually God. There's a phrase that is very common in John that you're not going to find in the other Gospels. It is one that is, I am. Many of you will recognize this if you've studied any of Scripture. In Exodus 3, verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, so say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now, this phrase, I am, is very different for us in our everyday conversations. I am hungry. There, there's the dad joke. I'm hungry. I am tired. I, we use this phrase a lot. I am, as my mom would say, sick 
and tired of whatever my brother and I were doing. We say, I am a lot, and it doesn't carry much weight. But back then, it was really important. They didn't say this phrase the same way as, as we would. It has very deep... All names have deep meaning in Scripture times. And when God says, I am, He is not just communicating a name. He is communicating that God is. That He just is. Other things came to be, but God is. There was never a time that God wasn't. Many people will say, well, who created God? Someone always thinks they've got you stumped when they say that one because we can't know beyond our time limits of, of our fragile brains. And they think if you can pass off the riddles of our origins of the word God, they can pass off the riddle by saying, well, how did God get here? The answer is, I am. God always was there. He never had a beginning, and He's not going to have an ending. And that's what His name means. It addresses the origins of who He is. He doesn't have origins. He just is. The quality shared by everything that has ever been or ever will be has come from something else. These chairs didn't just happen. They were created. But God was just there. Before anything, He was already there. Everything except God has a source. And God's name is saying it all along, I am. That's how important He is. Tell this to your children when they ask you where God came from. Well, He said He is. I am that I am. I am above time. I am above creation. I have always been and I always will be. Time is a property of the universe that He made, but He is not bound by it. There are no suns to measure the days of the brilliant light of God's life. He is, therefore, I am. Now, just wonder, just think about that, about the wonder of God's names and how that communicates His infinite limitless. Because He is, I am that I am, what does that mean He can accomplish? Anything he wants. His omnipotence, his omnipresence. And if you get that, you're going to be struck by the very interesting aspect of the Gospel of John. Because John is going to hit that we need to believe in the I am. That's what John wants to teach. These two words, I am, come up in John a lot. He notices, John notices, and he remembers them. How many times a day have you said, I am? I mean, really think about it. In your, in your conversations that you say, I am. How many, can any of you remember, let's just say 10 years ago, how many times you have said, I am? Rod can't even remember yesterday how many times he said, I am. And yet, John remembers 60 years later these I am statements. What does that tell you? That tells you that not only did they stick out, but they were so important that they were core beliefs for John to hold on to that he wanted to make sure that we heard these. After 60 years of reflection on the most significant three years of his life that changed him in the world, John recalls and intentionally writes down these I am statements. He wrote them down to nail down the same points, not only that the other three writers said, but also that we must believe. 
in this I am. Now, I had the privilege of, of going through Greek a few times in college, and uh, our English language doesn't convey or translate the right way. So the Greek words are ego e me. Ego e me. It simply means I, and then a me means to be. The Greek has these simple things, ego e me. But when Jesus talks about it, we need to hear it a little differently. And I had a lot of fun with this when I started really looking into it. Look at John 4, 25 and 26. Uh, this is the Samaritan woman. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. But here's the thing. That is not exactly really what he said. The literal translation is, I am speaks to you. He's not saying, I am the Messiah. He just said, God is speaking. That's a, that's a little different than just him saying, hey, yeah, I'm the Messiah. Jesus says, I am, and going me is speaking to you. That's a bold assertion. When the disciples are caught in a storm in chapter 6, we read they were terrified to see this person, this figure, walking on the water to them. Over the water, they heard a familiar voice of their rabbi, their teacher, and the Bible records this in 620. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. But the Greek again, I am. Fear not. They are scared. He says, I am. He's not saying it's me. He is proclaiming and declaring a truth of who he is. That makes a huge difference than just hearing Jesus say, hey, it's okay, it's me. He is boldly proclaiming this through the storm. In chapter 8, the religious leaders accused Jesus of making false claims about himself. Verse 23 of chapter 8, Jesus said to them, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that I would die, uh, that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Did you notice it said I am a few times? But the last part of verse 24 is critical here. Unless you believe that I am, you will indeed die in your sins. Unless you believe I am. Unless you believe I am God. Unless you believe I am the divine, you will die in your sins. That's why they wanted to kill Jesus. They understood what he was saying. Jesus just said he is the I am. That he is God. That he is the... the Deity. Jesus boldly claims to be God. And it is point blank in the Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. They know what he's talking about. This is why he made so many Jewish people mad. He claimed the name of God for himself. We need to understand that. Alec could come up here and say, I am Donnie. And none of you would believe him because he has hair up there. Yeah, a lot more than me. He can come up and claim it, but you all know he's not. But Jesus came up and claimed it and then proved it. And they couldn't say a word, so they got mad and tried to kill him for it. He claimed the name of their God for himself. He said, I am, over and over again. With a sort of brazen audacity, Jesus just appropriated God's name. 
How many of you are tired of hearing that phrase, appropriated their culture? or what? Jesus just said, hey, that's his name. Watch, it's mine. We are one. And now we understand why John writes this bold, very bold book. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right there we are saying, seeing John is saying, hey, I am is here. I am was back then. I am is right here, and I am is going to be till the end. The Word became flesh, dwelt among us. John is saying Jesus is the eternal God. No other gospel focuses on this so much. Jesus isn't even the same as other religious leaders, is what John is trying to say. We've all heard of religious leaders around the world, right? You can't put them on the same scales. What about Muhammad? Muhammad, he's the leader of the Muslims, right? Muhammad said he had truth. I know some truth. Jesus said, I am, ego a me, truth. I am truth. Um, what about Buddha? Buddha said he didn't even know if there was God. Jesus says, I am God. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. He is superior than any other. Just like we heard about that, which God did you, are you thanking God for? The one who can actually feed. The one who would actually give. Now, John Spence is in gospel pointing this whole thing out. If Jesus is the great I am, we should expect him to bring God life to us, to bring his eternal life to us. If Jesus is the great I am, then the life that was in the beginning with the word should come to us and bring us that eternal life. We are destined and designed to have eternal life. The problem is you and I broke that and threw it away and took the eternal life towards hell when we chose to sin. John shares seven other times when Jesus made a critical statement about who he is. I'm just going to briefly go over these. I am the bread of life in John 6. I am, uh, the bread sustains physical life. That's what that means. So Christ offers and sustains spiritual life. He says, I am the light of the world. To a world lost in darkness, he offers himself as the only guide. I am the door of the sheep. He protects his followers as the shepherd protects their flock. He is the guardian and the keeper. I am the good shepherd. He's committed to carrying out and watching over those who are under his care. Um... I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the source of all truth, all life, um, and all knowledge of God. He says, I am the true vine. By attaching ourselves to him, to Christ, we are enabled to let his life flow into us and through us. And then this one in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, I wanted to write a sermon about all of these and how they fit together. And you know I can preach long. But as I was looking at it, I'm like, man, that's, that's a whole sermon series. So I didn't want to cover all of them, but I want to touch that last one because it concerns a topic of utmost importance to all of us. And that's the idea of death. When someone dies, we, we cover it up as much as we can, that cold, harsh reality of death that we can. And one of the ways we do this is coming up with silly or little le less threatening euphemisms. Uh, he passed. They, he kicked the bucket. He, his ticket got punched. Um, he expired. It, you, just read some of these other phrases that people use, and some of them are just silly dumb. Like, really? 
But when death hits us in the face, yeah, pushing up daisies, that's the one, yeah. When, we hit it, when it hits us in the face, we realize it's not a joke. The philosophers say death is the main fact of life. You can't escape it. It's going to hit you. We live our lives as one great diversion to distract us from the reality of that fact, and we are racing towards it at great speed. How many times do we try to do something to direct our attention away from the fact that we're getting old and we can't do as much as we used to? And so we change our fact, our focus, and, and try to live it up this other way. If you need an example, he's not in here right now, but I want you to just go ask Nick Helbert when he comes back. Just ask him. You can ask Rod. He's talked about it. You can talk to Croc. He's talked about it. You can talk to me. I can't do as much as I used to. And we try to change our focus away because death is its not funny. John 11 is the story of death, and there we meet a family that is very close to Jesus, a group of siblings, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. News comes to Jesus that Lazarus is deathly ill in John 11, verse 11. After saying these things, he, meaning Jesus, said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. So Jesus says, hey, Lazarus, my friend who's sick, he's asleep. I'm going to go wake him up. So what is he? Lazarus died. So did Jesus get it wrong? What did he mean by that? When Jesus gets there, Lazarus' sisters are mourning. They're upset with him. You calmed the storms. We know you could do this. You didn't make it in time, and now my brother is dead. And then Jesus says, your, your brother will rise again, but she's confused. John eleven twenty five. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even after he dies. This is the seventh and maybe the greatest I am statement, the culmination of what he has been saying all through the book of John and really in John 11. I am the truth, I am the vine, I am the door, I am the bread, I am the shepherd, I am the light. And get this, Martha, I am life. I am resurrection even beyond death. And if you put all those together, I am right here for you. It's found in me, no one else. Resurrection life is right here, and you can find it nowhere else. Jesus sees her weeping and the weeping all the mourners, and John says he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. There, this is really distinct and interesting terminology that he used because it's not that Jesus was just sad. He was angry. He's there and this funeral is happening and he gets mad. Jesus approaches the tomb in a cave with the stone laid across the entrance and Jesus weeps loudly there. He mourns. But really, looking into the Greek, I changed my focus. At first, I used to think, well, he, he's just mourning over the sadness of the people here. Or he's mourning over that he's going to have to bring John back into this world of life. But after looking at the Greek, I'm, I think he's really mourning evil and pain and death. This is what has hit his people. That this has had such an impact on his children. It grieves him and it angers him. Jesus is looking out at Mary and the crowd. They're all wailing in grief, and he weeps. But then another part of him is seething, birthing in hot anger, because this is a showdown. 
This is an ultimate confrontation because the great I am is standing at the tomb and about ready to command his power, his essence, and so that all people could believe. Jesus sees his enemy, the evil of death. It's unnaturalness, it's tyranny, it is death that is the object of his rage. Behind death, the one who holds the power of that death. Jesus advances to the tomb and Martha tries to save Jesus. This is very comical. Um, Jesus, don't open that. That's going to smell. Yes, death stinks. That, that's really what I get from that. But step aside, Martha. Jesus has a point to prove. Death is not normal. It's not meant to be the final for creatures made in the image of God. This is a confrontation against the enemy, and I am is ready to do battle with it. So they moved the stone away. He prayed, and Jesus called out in a commanding. This isn't just a yell or a shout. It is a command, come out. And the dead man comes out. Now, what's the point of the Gospel of John then? That God himself came to be among his creation. That God himself is in Jesus. That I am was with his people. How many of you have seen the, the eagles that have been perching and landing all around here? Now, I, I got to see one just the other day. I think it was Thursday we got to see one. My boys asked Casey and I why we were so excited to see bald eagles around the area. They're like, it's just a bird. I had never seen one in the wild. I've seen them in zoos and Marty Stauffer's Wild America. And that just dated myself. That, that's all. I'd only seen it in TV or a zoo. And here is this majestic bald eagle that has moved into St. Joe. So I'd heard about him. Casey got to see one flying around our house, and I, I didn't get to see it again. And one day I was on my way to church about two years ago, and there was some fog out that was just hovering and kind of kissing onto the ground, just holding onto it. And the sun was popping out above it, and it was going to start dissipating all that fog. And you could see that grayish blue just lighting up in the sky. And I went over the railroad tracks on 40, going over to 61. I saw it flying right above the fog. I got over the tracks and I pulled over. And I got out of my car and watched as this eagle did a full loop around my, my car. And then he just with effortlessly flapped his wings twice and shot up into the sky going south. It was amazing. I stood there and I was like, i got to get to a board meeting, but I don't want to move. The grace, the elegance, the majesty of that single bird just flying there. The way an eagle glides through the air, the splendor of seeing it captured me. I mean, we, you can see him, but when you see him in person. Listen to these verses. Exodus 19.4, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagle's wings. And brought you to myself. That's what God's saying. I brought you to me through eagle's wings. Deuteronomy 32.11 Like an eagle that rouses her chicks and hovers over her young, so he spread his wings 
to take them up and carry them safely on his pinions or wings. He flaps his wings out to protect and guide us like a giant great eagle. Isaiah 40, 31 may be the one that most people have ever always hear. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Eagles have this sense of always being elevated and gliding with power and dignity and grace. Which is why the eagle is the creature or the, the book of John. This elevated power and grace that is above all of us. Jesus is far above us. He is royal, full of power, and offers grace. 90% of what is recorded in the book of John cannot be found in the other Gospels. Which means that it's a very unique book to look at the person, the character of Jesus. But, but I want you to understand that this isn't all of it that there is. Look what is John wrote in verses 30 and 31 of chapter 20. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in Him, you will have life by the power of His name. They saw many... I want to know what some of these other miracles and signs were. Wouldn't you like to hear these other miracles? The point of this gospel is that you will believe that Jesus is God, that the power of His name, you will receive life. And in case you're wondering, look what it says in 21 verse 25. There are also many other things that Jesus did. We, were every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. John, 60 years later, recalled this mount, and he's still telling you there's still more you can learn about Jesus. That the world's library cannot contain how much information there is about Jesus and what he did. But these here are enough to get you to believe. You want to know more about him? Go ask him yourself. But these are here to help you believe in him. Which brings us to probably the most famous scripture of all time. John 3.16. But you need to learn 17 with it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But here, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. It's not just that He loved, but He sent Him because of love to save us. He didn't send Him to condemn you. He sent Him to bring you home on wings like eagles. He sent Jesus home to be the I Am who could carry you into the home of heaven. Jesus is the King. He is the servant. He is Emmanuel. And He is God. That is the picture of Jesus in the Gospels. All four of them coming together. The four viewpoints of Jesus. And a person rightly cannot, um, cannot rightfully believe that the Bible only shows Jesus as a good person, a moral person, or nice teacher. Just in the first four accounts, we see that Jesus is so much more. And we just did a brief summary through these. 
lion, an ox, a man, and an eagle, a king, a servant, a man, and the great I am. Jesus is all of them. He is all of them for us. These four Yuangaleons give us a deeper understanding of who Jesus is and how we can come to him. This year our theme is what? Anybody? Foundation Garrett again. He's got notes up there. It's not written down. That's ad lib. Who better to build our foundation uh, to build on than the foundation of Jesus? Who better to put our whole life onto? than the one who has the royalty, who knows how to serve, who knows what it means to walk with us, and is still the I Am. Who better for us as St. Joe to spend the rest of this year looking at so that we can point our lives to Him, through Him, and touch other people. It's kind of like what Jeff was saying about eyes. They come in when there's a disaster. They bring some help. And hopefully lead them to hope. That's really a model of Jesus. There was a disaster that happened on earth, and that's because we chose to sin. And so Jesus comes in to help as the great I am. He offers his life to give you hope. Unfortunately, not everyone's ever accepted it. Some people turn and walk away. But if you need to make that decision today, would you make it? Would you look at who Jesus is that we're just looking at? And we're going to get deeper this year. And uh, I am very excited about what God's going to reveal to us when we study Him like this. But if you've never accepted that, what, what's keeping you? What's keeping you? Because the great I Am came into this world to reach you. This book was written so that you would believe and come to know that life. What will you do? If you need to make a decision or if you need to talk and pray with one of us, we want to meet with you on this. And know that we come together to go see Him who is the great I Am. Let's stand and let's pray. God, we thank You. Father, I thank You that we have such a great and awesome Savior who truly does love us. The one who is the great I Am reaches out his nail pierced hands to bring us home into heaven. God, I thank you that death is not final for us who know you, that we can step through from this world into the real world of life with you in heaven. But God, forgive us for doubting at times, for looking away from you and looking at the, the glittery things of this world. Help us to restore our sight, our life, our mind onto you. To live in a, a life that is built and founded on you alone. And so that when people come to know us, they know that we are called after your name. Help us do that, God. And in your name we pray.